You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning. Uh, if you weren't listening for the last several minutes, as Donnie said it over and over, my name is Thor. Uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm usually up at the mills, uh, but I'm excited to be here with you today. I help out with the uh, Nexus student ministry around here. That's um, where I feel called to serve and, uh, and do that. Um, but I'm excited to be up, get to be able to speak to you this morning. I think that God's uh, message from his word is really powerful and uh, very relevant. I just feel the weight of it this morning, so I'm excited to share that with you. Um, but it's just good to be here. It's good to be with uh, church family this morning. Um, and if you know, we do a series um, every year, September to September, we have a theme, and this year has been Step Forward. And if you've been here at all this summer, you know that um, our narrower theme for the summer has been uh, Page Turner. And we're looking at this Page Turner story of the book of Acts of the early church and this exciting story of the spread of the gospel, the spread of the early church. And then zooming in even further, this month we've been on the theme of Overcome, Overcome, which is really central to uh, any good story, any page-turning story. is really just about people who have a goal and are trying to overcome the obstacles to get there is, is a good story. And that's what's happening in Acts, this account of um, right now in chapter 17, we're looking at Paul and his companions as they travel around on their missionary journey, spreading the church and overcoming these obstacles. And it's easy to look at the story of Paul and, and look at Paul and say, man, everything this guy touches just turns to gold. Right? He plants churches everywhere he goes. Uh, he has all this big influence. He writes half of the New Testament. He just seems like such an awesome guy, such a cool guy. Everything he does is great. But really, he, like, he was just like you or me. He failed a lot, too. In chapter 17, as I was reading it, I, I noticed like this is like a chapter of failures in a lot of ways. Like A good title for chapter 17 is, Paul preaches the gospel and fails in three cities. Like, that's kind of the story that we're looking at. And he gets, he gets some good response. He's in um, the city of Thessalonica, and he's preaching, and, and people are hearing it, and good things are happening. But then he makes some enemies, and they stir up trouble and a riot, and they get him kicked out of the city. Um, and so he leaves, and he goes to Berea, and he's preaching God's word, and he's reasoning with them and sharing the gospel. And things are happening. A few people are, are coming to know Jesus, but then the, those same enemies follow him there and stir up more trouble and get him kicked out of Berea. So he goes to Athens, and he's in Athens, and he preaches this amazing sermon, which is where we're going to focus mostly today, but he preaches this, this awesome sermon, and like two people get saved, like a couple people know Jesus, and then he has to leave the city again, and it's like failure after failure after failure, and, but he keeps preaching, and he keeps sharing the gospel because he was faithful to what God had called him to do, no matter what the response was. And I think that's very interesting. And I, you have to ask why, like what kept him going? And we will kind of see that uh, as we go out through this morning. But I think a lot of it has to do with this one thing um, that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, records about Paul. It says that uh, Paul was greatly distressed when he was in Athens to see the city was full of idols. He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. And as I read that, I couldn't help but think of an experience that I got to have a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, you may know that our student ministry sent a team of 12 students and 11 adults halfway around the world to Asia. We went to Cambodia and to Myanmar. I got to be a part of leading that trip, and uh, which is those two countries are in Southeast Asia over near Vietnam in that area. So we were there for a couple weeks, and when we were in Myanmar, the capital city of Myanmar, Yangon, we had a chance to visit a pagoda, which is like this Buddhist uh, temple kind of thing. And it's actually the second largest pagoda in the world. And as we were there, um, I was walking around. Uh, we were all walking together as a group, and we were just looking at, at what was happening. And, and as you walked, um, there was like this big pathway, and on either side, there were just statues after statues after statues, literal idols. Like, we don't get a, a, many chances to see this sort of thing, but just as Paul was looking around and he saw idols, we were looking around and we saw literal idols, gold-plated idols with all the money that flows into this temple. And there was one in particular that stands out in my memory. It was a, a little statue up on a stand kind of, kind of about this height, and it had a pool of water at the base of it. And people were lining up to get a chance to, um, they would take a ladle and scoop the water and pour it over the statue and pour it over the statue and pour it over the statue. And so I said to um, Pastor Chungnung, who was with us, you know, what's, what's going on here? Like, what, what does this mean? And he said they, they're washing this statue so that they can receive a cool and refreshing life for themselves. And I just thought, oh, this is so sad. The, the emptiness of it, the, the dead superstition and ritual of it, and the, the enslavement to this practice. And we, we visited two pagodas, and at the other pagoda, there was a, uh, a cage, a bird cage that had um, little, I don't know what they were, they're like finches or sparrows or something. You'd have to ask an ornithologist about that one. Um, but there was some little bird, and I asked Chungnung, what's this cage of birds doing here? And he said, well... Buddhists or tourists, they'll come and they will pay the keeper of the birds. They will buy the bird to release it. And in doing so, they believe they will earn good merit for themselves, good karma for the next life. I thought, that's so sad. And he said, what they don't know is that these bird owners will then go out and recapture the exact same birds and put them back in the cage for the next tourist who comes along. And I just... I just thought, like, just like Paul was, he was overcome by the idols that were there, and I just thought, man, this is so sad. This religion, um, this religiosity and spirituality and um, this, this uh, superstition is holding these people captive to these things, and it's empty, and it's dead, and it's sad. And I think that as we look around the world, all over the world, and all throughout history, there are so many examples of ways that religion has gone bad. So many examples of ways that religion has been a means of oppression, that religion has been uh, an excuse for hate and bigotry, that religion has been a way of, of becoming a part of evil. And it's not even just, it's not other religions, it's also Christianity. And in the present day, as illustrated by the tragic news um, recently of, of systemic abuse and cover-ups right here in Pennsylvania, and it's so easy to look around and find religion gone bad, religion that's a destructive force in the world. And it's heartbreaking. And it, I think it demands that we ask the question, why? And, and what is that? And is there good religion? What is good religion is the question that, that I want to look at this morning. I think we could look at that together because that's a question that needs to be answered. It's important 
for someone who says that they don't believe in God, who says um, that they're not sure that there's anything beyond this life, or for the person who's been following Jesus for the longest time. I think this is a question that is essential for us to ask of ourselves. What is good religion? Would you pray with me before we start reading here? God, this is an important question. We believe that this question needs to be answered, and we're desperate for an answer. The world is desperate for an answer of what is good religion. Would you help us this morning as we read your word and as we read the words that Paul spoke so many years ago uh, in Athens, as we read that, would you help it to come alive for us? Would you help us to understand uh, more of you and what good religion can look like, uh, the religion, the way that you designed it to be? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 17, um, or you can look in the Riverside Community Church app and follow along in the notes there. Um, we're going to start in chapter 17, verse 16. And so remember, Paul had just gotten kicked out of two cities, and he really, he was actually just waiting in Athens. He, he went to Athens because he had to go to Athens, and he was waiting there for his companions to catch up to him. So he wasn't there to plant a church. He wasn't there to preach a message. He wasn't there to do anything specific. He's kind of like on vacation, you know, just waiting, hanging out for um, his companions to catch up with him so they could continue their mission. And while he's there, he sees this. You know, it says in 16, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, and he just couldn't keep quiet. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. Now, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, which those were just two, the two biggest philosophies of the day that were popular in Athens and Greece, um, and Athens is where all the biggest names in philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, all these guys came from Athens. So this was a big uh, thing. Philosophy and religion was a big uh, center. Athens was a center for that. So these guys were hanging out, and they began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Which I think is just perfect. Like, can't you just picture it? You know, anytime something's happening, there's usually like that, that small crowd of people standing off to one side, like, what the, what's going on here? What is this babbler trying to say? And I really think that uh, that's what Donnie's back in the sound booth saying right now. What, what is this babbler trying to say? Get to the point. So he's there, and they're questioning, and some remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, which was like this council of leaders in Athens. And they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. So they're kind of intrigued. They're, they're not ready to, to give Paul uh, any weight or, or really, you know, take what he says as true, but they're ready to listen. They're interested. And Luke, uh, the author of Acts, kind of adds this parenthetical statement, which I think is hilarious. He says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I think that's a scathing review of Athens. Uh, maybe that's his, his comeback, his, uh, his way of getting back at them for calling uh, Paul a babbler. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with this inscription. It said, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, Paul, in his missionary journey, his mission wasn't to bring them religion. 
They already had a lot of religion. They had too much religion. His mission was to make this unknown God known to them. And thinking about, as he's looking out at all these idols, and I'm thinking of that, and thinking of my experience in Myanmar and seeing that, I'll finish that story for you. It was a crazy experience. After we went to those two pagodas, and we saw this, and we, I saw that, and I was thinking about the slavery of it, and the, the um, idolatry, and the devotion to this meaningless stuff, and we decided to go get lunch. And we had been on this trip for about like 10 days already. We had eaten, you know, so much chicken and rice. And I love it. You know, I love Asian food. But we thought, okay, maybe we should uh, just try, try and grab some American food, give our team a little break. So believe it or not, uh, in the middle of Yangon, Myanmar, in South Asia, there's a hard rock cafe. And so we went and got burgers in Yangon. Um, it was great. So we, we went there and we sat. And just the same, if you've been to the Hard Rock Cafe here or, or somewhere, um, you'll know that they have these TV screens up in the corners that play music videos. And it's just the same at the one in, in Yangon. They were these American music videos um, of pop culture icons and, and all this sort of thing. And I was sitting there, I was thinking about the pagoda and the idols and the worship and the devotion to the meaningless things. And I looked up at the TV and I thought, this is the same thing. This is the same exact thing. What, what do we lift up in our culture in America, this celebrity? We lift up and say, this is the ideal. This is what I want to achieve is the money, making the most money, having a bigger house, better car, having the best stuff. We lift up success and achievement and getting that promotion at work and doing the most with your life and achieving this stuff. And we lift up living for ourselves, living for our own pleasure and selfishness, and we say this is what's worthy. We, we bow to these idols of success and materialism and all this stuff. These are our American idols. They might not be literal statues, but we do worship them. We devote ourselves to them. And good religion, good religion has no room for idols because religion becomes very dangerous when it is God and. When it's, I bow to God and I also bow to money. Or I am devoted to God, but I'm also devoted to this particular political ideology. Then it becomes very dangerous because we open our religion up, we open our devotion up for these other things to come in and spoil it. And that, when you look throughout history, when you look around the world and you see religion gone wrong and you see religion turned into an evil thing, it's always because there was something else that was added to the mix. It's always, become, it's always because this worship becomes about more than God and it becomes about God and getting something for myself. God and this other thing. And that is a dangerous place, both at, at a societal level, at a large-scale level, but on a personal level. If I'm personally devoted to God and something else, it's going to spoil my religion. And um, when Jesus is one of many gods that rule our lives, we'll find ourselves enslaved to those other things, that we have to slavishly serve after those things and seek after those things and devote our life to those things. But if God's number one, if God is the God that we worship, then everything else kind of falls into place, into its right place, and becomes productive. And I think that as, as Paul is preaching this to them, and he says, you know, you have this altar to an unknown God. I'm going to make this God known to you. You know some things about God, but he's unknown to you. Thinking of these idols, thinking of all that stuff, Let's, let's keep reading. Let's keep searching. See what, see what more he has to say here. Verse 24. The God who made everything 
The world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples or he does not live in churches built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He doesn't need things. He gives freely. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, I think it's really interesting. Those two quotes that, that he says right there, those were actually written by Greek philosophers in like poems dedicated to Zeus because those were the gods they worshipped, you know, Zeus and, and Athena and Apollos and all those guys. And Paul pulls that out and he says, you know, I've heard you, your poets say this and I think you're on to something here. I think you're on to something here. Um, let me show you this God that you worship but don't really know about him. Let me tell you his name. Let me show you who he is. You're worshiping an unknown God. Verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. See, we often treat God himself like an idol. We treat God like an idol when we think, Maybe we don't think this consciously, but sometimes we act this way that, okay, I, you know, I'm going to go to church enough times. I'm going to have enough good behavior. I'm going to get enough Bible verse tattoos on me that God, he's going to be so pleased, and he's, maybe he's going to even toss a few blessings my way in return. God's not interested in that kind of a religion. God's interested in a relationship. He says that he wants us to reach out for him and find him, to know him, to really know him. And good religion knows God. These philosophers, these Athenians, they knew a few things about God, but they didn't know him. They were worshiping an unknown God. And James chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us that, you know, even the demons believe there's a God. So don't pat yourself on the back for believing there's a God. Do you know God? Are you living for God? Are you serving God? Because good religion knows God. And it, there's, a, there's this bumper sticker that <clears throat> you've probably seen it before. It's a little corny. I think it's really funny. Um, it says, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And then there's like maybe like a little cross or a picture of Jesus or something. So you know that it's talking about Jesus uh, and not just finding a job or something because it's also true for that. But it's not about what you know. The Athenians, they knew a lot. They knew some things that were good about God. Paul says, yeah, you're right on that. But do you know God? Do you know him personally? He wants a relationship. Health and life don't come from knowing things about God. They come from knowing God. And it's easy to lose focus on that. It's so easy, especially um, if you're serious about ministry, if you're serious about serving God, those things that we do to serve him, those can become an idol because we think, okay, I'm doing all this good stuff. I'm doing these good actions and deeds, um, and that's going to make God happy. But God says, no, no, that comes second. That comes second. First, know me, experience me, a relationship with me, and out of that is going to flow all the good stuff and all the healthy stuff. I have to ask myself this all the time. Am I worshiping an unknown God? 
have I let myself drift away from God? Because, man, that'll spoil your religion. That'll turn the religion into a bad religion where these other things sneak in and becomes a force for evil instead of good. Good religion knows God. Let's keep reading. In verse 30, it says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, meaning to turn back to him. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And to be honest, I was very tempted to just kind of like gloss over this part and not, not really talk about it. Just read through it and move on. Because it's not comfortable. It's not like fun for me to talk about God judging the world with justice. It sounds like it's just it's, it's something that doesn't feel like good about that. And but But Paul talks about it here. And Luke records it, so there's got to be some reason for this, judging the world with justice. And I was thinking about it, and I realized this actually makes perfect sense, because when we talk about all the things that, that bad religion has done, we talk about all the ways that people have gone wrong, we talk about oppression and injustice and taking advantage of the weak, and we talk about these things, that should make us feel sick. That should make us say, God, when are you going to make things right? When will you make things right in the world? And that's what judging the world with justice means. That's when God will make everything right and good in the world. And that is what that's talking about. Um, But, you know, even Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I think that we should hunger and thirst righteousness. When we see evil in the world, that should make us hungry for God to bring justice and goodness to the earth. When we see this, this oppression in the world and things going wrong and people taking advantage of each other and hurting each other, that should make us thirsty for God to set things right because that's his plan. And honestly, those evil things happen when God becomes unknown and secondary. So Paul, he keeps going. He's preaching this message. He says that um, God will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demaris, and a number of others. So there's a few converts here. Uh, The next verse, it goes right in the next chapter, and Paul moves on to a new city, and we really don't hear about what happens in Athens. Um, Some of them believed, but a lot of them were turned off at this one moment. They were tracking right until he talks about the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, and then they scoffed at him. And I think it was because they were so used to religions and philosophies that were all just talk. It said they they did nothing but talk about the latest ideas. And I think that when they came across a religion that claimed to be based on an actual historical supernatural event like the resurrection, that just freaked them out. That just turned them off of it. But that is what's unique about Christianity, and it is totally everything is based on the resurrection Good religion, knowing God, all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Because God, the story of the Bible is that God created everything and he created the world knowing him. He created it good. 
but we chose to not know him. We chose to worship these other idols, to choose things for ourselves and to go another way. And that broke that relationship. That broke that knowing God. And that allowed the evil to come in and the religion to be corrupted and spoiled into this bad religion, this force of evil in the world. And there is nothing, there is nothing that could bring a fallen humanity, a humanity that doesn't know God, there's nothing that could bring us back up to knowing God except for a God that becomes a part of that humanity, a God that became a human, and that's Jesus. And Jesus, when, when he died on that cross, that erased our rebellion, that erased our idolatry and choosing other things. If we put our trust in him, that can be erased. And when he was raised from the dead, he made a way for us to be raised from the dead, for us to be raised into right relationship with God, to know God. And his resurrection was proof of our resurrection, that the crazy promise of the gospel is that death won't be the end, that when God brings that judging the world with justice and he makes everything new and he makes everything right, that we will rise again and we'll have new life and resurrection. And this is what freaked out the Greek philosophers, but that is the crazy claim of the gospel. It all hinges on the resurrection. And that resurrection doesn't just start someday off in the future pie in the sky. That resurrection starts now. And Paul could have told them all about his resurrection because he went from killing people, from going around and murdering people, to then preaching the gospel of peace and love. His radical transformation, the resurrection, Jesus, knowing God, good religion, has the power to resurrect. Good religion resurrects. It brings us from death into life. Good religion resurrects. It resurrects us from despair into hope from a place of hate into a place of love, and from a place that's just talk and ideas into a place that's action and faith in action. Good religion resurrects. Knowing God can't help but change you. It can't help but resurrect you. And you can see the difference between a bad religion and a good religion, a bad faith in a person and good faith in a person by the fruits by whether are they being resurrected. We're not, nobody's perfect, but are we being resurrected into God's image? Because that's the promise and that's the test, that it works, that it's based in fact and action and in the resurrection from death into life. And that is something that is so awesome, that is so incredible, that it demands to be shared. It demands to be shared with the people around us. Just as Paul looking around in Athens, was overcome by seeing all these idols. Just as Paul was overcome, so too we should be overcome by this need that somebody has got to tell this world about Jesus. Looking around at what's wrong, about looking around at what's wrong, we should say somebody has got to tell the world about Jesus. We should be overcome by this. It should be something that keeps us up at night. It should be something that weighs on our minds, on our hearts, something that pushes us forward, this desire to share God with the world. But you can only share what you have. You can't share something you don't have. And so that is why it's so important for us to get rid of the idols in our life, to know God, to really know him, and to see that resurrecting power at work in us so that we can share it with the people we encounter. And that's the thing for this morning. The one thing that, that I think we need to remember and think about is share good religion. Share good religion. How did Paul share good religion? Well, I think it's pretty interesting. He didn't quote some Bible verses at these people. 
He did, he did talk about Scripture when he was with the, the Jewish people that would have understood and been persuaded by Scripture, but he actually spent time in the marketplace. He spent time among the Greek people, and he just asked them questions, and he figured out what was going on with them and where they were at and what they were thinking and, and who they um, believed in and, and what their deal was. And he picks up on these areas of common ground, and he says, I see you're very religious. I see that you have these ideas about God. I think you're right. I think you're on to something. Let me share with you about that because I, I know somebody that I think you ought to meet. And his name's Jesus. And he's got the power to change the world. He's got the power to resurrect the world. And I can tell you about how he has resurrected me. That's his plan. That was his strategy to share good religion. I think that's an excellent blueprint for us. And the worship team, I think, can come back up as I want to leave us with one last question to think about. What kind of of religion am I sharing? What kind of religion am I sharing? Because we all, whether we know it or not, are sharing our religion everywhere we go. Even if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, the worldview that you have, the mindset that you have, the things that you are devoted to, the things that you worship, you're sharing that with the people around you everywhere you go. What kind of religion is it? Is it a religion that has idols that are meaningless, that seeks to serve after money and power and pleasure and all these things that lead to corruption and oppression? Or is it a, a good, healthy religion that knows God personally, that isn't a dead religion, that knows God and that resurrects us, that brings us from death into life, that changes things? What kind of religion am I sharing? What, would I be satisfied if the whole world had my religion? Whew, that's a tough question. I don't know that I would be. I don't know that I would be. I think that question pushes me to know God better because I think the world needs to know God fully. And how can I share that with the world if I don't know him myself? So our call today is to know God, to seek after him, to cast out the idols in our life, to experience his resurrecting power, and to share that with the people who desperately, desperately need it in the world around us. That's the only way that it will work. Would you close your eyes if you're comfortable just for a minute and just, and just ponder this question? And what is the next step for you? What's the next step? If you, if you say, yeah, I, I want to experience that, the good religion, the good faith that resurrects. I want to experience knowing God. What's the next step for you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? How can you put this into practice? Let this not just be talk this morning, not just talking about this latest idea, but actually put it into practice and seek after God. And how are you showing that to the people around you? How are you sharing that with the people around you? Let's pray. God, for those in this room who would say they have never taken that first step that maybe they've never experienced knowing you, that they have always had an unknown God. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to reach out, like it says, like Paul said in this sermon, to reach out to you and to find you because you're there. You're not far. You're waiting and you're willing to start a relationship. God, would they ask you, show yourself to me because I know you will. And would you give them the strength to put their faith in Jesus, not in what they've done, not in what they can earn with a dead religion, a, a service of idolatry, God, but 
by what you have done and your sacrifice and your resurrection, that it doesn't rest on us, but only on your forgiveness. Would you help them to make that choice? God, for those of us who need forgiveness, for those of us who have, we've, maybe we've been worshiping you, but we've kind of also let these other things slip in, these other idols slip into our lives. God, would you help us to ask for forgiveness, God? Would you help us to cast those things out, to focus on you only, to put you first, and to really know you, to not let our religion be a dead religion or a religion that's a force of evil, that it, our religion would not be spoiled by these things, but it would be pure and focused on you, and that all the goodness and life that would flow out of that would then come. God, for those here who need strength, would you give them strength to continue to share your love, to continue to share your name and to help the people around them to see there is a God that I can know. It doesn't, he doesn't have to be an unknown God, but there is a God who is close, who is near to us and ready and willing to change us through the power of a real resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.